Welcome to Highlawn Baptist Church in St. Albans, West Virginia, where our mission is to know Christ and to make Christ known. For more information, visit us online at highlawnbaptistchurch.org. We're so glad you've decided to join us, and now we invite you to grab your Bible, if you're able, as we pray that you will be blessed by the preaching of the truth of God's Word today. We're continuing to take a look at what the Apostle Peter has for us. As we're looking through his first epistle, his first epistle is about the believers, the members of the family of God and how they live and how they're called to give an example in a world that is hostile to the Christian message. One of the unfortunate things about, uh, in fact, probably the only unfortunate thing that we've encountered so far about re-engaging in neighborhood ministry is seeing homes which are broken. Seeing little children being brought up in situations that no child should ever have to be brought up in. What can we do to combat such reckless hate? What can we do to combat such reckless abandon for what is love? What can we do to be a light of hope in the midst of a people living from day to day in fear? What can we do to call others to Christ before it is everlastingly too late? And that's what we're looking at today. These are some of the things that we've already learned just in the, the past chapter, in, in 1 Peter chapter 1. First of all, remember always, you are not citizens of the kingdom of this world. Your citizenship, if you're in Christ, is where? Is in heaven. We're citizens of the kingdom of heaven right now, not just when we pass away. We are citizens of the kingdom of heaven, so we should act like it. Number two, the world is going to persecute you. The world is going to find any way that it can to steal that, that joy and that peace from out from and under you. So be on guard for that. Number three, persecution. God can use as a forge through which to refine your faith in the same way that a blacksmith strengthens the blade of a sword. Also remember, no matter what challenge comes your way, your position and your possessions in Christ is secure. For I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against what? Against that day. Once you are in him, you are always in him. And as Paul says, neither death nor hell, nor powers, nor principalities, nor life, nor death, nor any other thing in all creation can separate us from the love of God through Christ Jesus our Lord. So no matter what things the enemy tries to turn our way, including self-doubt and fear, it is not up to you to maintain your salvation, for it's already secured in the arms of he who is all-powerful, all-knowing, who already knows the challenges you're going to face before you face them. And here's something else. He's already promised to give you the victory out of those. So your position and your possessions in Him are secure. Lastly, from the last chapter, don't try to change this world by rebelling against it the way that some do, through hostility, through anger, through violence. Change the world by reflecting Christ before others by reflecting His light 
We draw new people into the Lamb's book of life. So if you will take out your copy of God's Word with me and turn to the book of 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, starting with verse 9. When you get there, say amen. amen. His reminder and his instruction for us today. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are one holy nation. God's special possession. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness and into his wonderful, into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, in other words, you were scattered, you had different languages, you had different ethnic identities, you had different national identities, but under Christ, now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word this morning. Two things I want you to take notice. Write this down. Number one, you are a people. The, the world right now is obsessed over labels. The world right now is obsessed over division. Hyphenating things. They want to give us ethnic identities. They want to give us uh, gender identities. They want to give us socioeconomic identities. They want to slap as many labels on us as they can to cause us to divide ourselves. What Peter is getting down to brass tacks on here is that there are no divisions in Christ. For through His blood, you have all received the same redemption. You are all partakers in the same divine love. You are one people, uno ethnos. You are one people in Him. You were also a royal priesthood. In our Wednesday nights, we've been talking about uh, the, the Reformation and how these new ideas came to bear in our lives. And one of the things that came up is this idea of the priesthood of all believers that Martin Luther picked up on. This is where he got it from. You are all given direct access to Christ. Back in the time of, of the Jewish religion, back in its heyday when the temple was still standing. In order to go before God, you couldn't on your own. You had to give your prayer requests, supposedly. You had to bring your sacrifices. You had to bring your tithes and offerings, not to the storehouse, so to speak, alone, but also through a priest. And it was only a priest who could go into the Holy of Holies once a year after great ceremonial preparation. There was only this one person who was called to stand between you and God, but right now under the blood of Christ, which has completely cleaned you, making you permanently clean in His sight, you have the right, and in fact the duty, the Bible tells us, that you can go boldly before the throne of grace, that you may make your petitions known, that you can speak directly to God through His Son whenever you want to. There is no division between us and God. There is no division between us and each other except the ones that we put upon ourselves. Live in that freedom. You are one people in Christ. You are a royal priesthood. Let's talk about being a priest for just a second. Priesthood, again, means that you have direct access to the very presence of God whenever you want to go before Him. You don't need that preparation. You don't have that single day on the calendar that you can only go before Him. You can go on your knees 
and talk to your heavenly Father. You can cry, Abba, the Bible says, which is the same thing as going up to your earthly father and saying, Dad, whenever you want to. You have that familiarity. You have that closeness in a relationship with him. You're also called to instruct other people around you on what is godly righteousness. To learn as a disciple of Christ first and master his teaching so that you, in your conduct, conversation, and character, sometimes as, as a preacher, sometimes as a, one of our teachers, sometimes as a deacon, but in whatever your called ministry is, you are called to always proclaim Christ. To instruct others in godly righteousness. We're also called to proclaim the mercy of God. To not only tell other people that God is there to save, but to also reflect His grace. To be forgiving just as you have been forgiven. To extend grace just as He has been gracious unto you. One of the worst examples and one of the best weapons in the enemy's arsenal is a Christian who doesn't act like it is someone who makes the name of God vain, who violates the second commandment with their ambassadorship before a fallen world by not being forgiven, by not being graceful, by not extending to others that same kind of love that has been extended to them. And again, if you want a prime example, go to any, uh, go to any restaurant immediately after the morning worship hour. And you'll see plenty of people that turn off others to Christians. But what Peter is calling us to do is reflect God's light with everything that we are in all situations. No matter how burdensome the situation may be, always reflect His love. Proclaim the mercy of God in both your actions and in your testimony. And glorify God through worship. We do not come to places like this for divinely flavored entertainment. Please write that down. We do not come before the throne of grace to get something for ourselves. We come before the throne of grace to render praise unto God and Him alone. He is the focus of our worship. The choir of God, the choir of Highline Baptist Church, isn't what takes place in the loft behind me. You're part of it too. We are all performers of praise and we have an audience of one. It's not about us. Nothing about the worship hour is about us. It's all about Him and what He has done on our behalf. Giving Him praise, honor, and glory for what He has done as well as praise in advance for what He is going to do that we know He's going to do because we have studied and we understand His promises. And more than that, we understand that our God, unlike any other God, unlike any other religion, unlike any other text of religious spiritualities out there, we have the single and only God whose testimony is that He delights in the making and keeping of promises to His children, that He does not, has never, and will never break a promise to His child. That should be enough to make a Baptist shout. Has God ever broken a word to you? And praise God that He never will. And that's what makes Him different. That's what makes Christ different. God of the Muslim religion can and will break his promises. The God of the old mythologies would break their promises all the time. They could not even maintain their own marital vows. 
Our God never breaks a promise. Our God is the truest definition of holy. Also as a priest, I want you to take a look at the definition. Keep this in your heart. Because this was as true of the Levites as it is true for you today. Anyone who comes to the altar and prays and accepts Christ has this calling on their heart. Because your primary job concern is that you will go before God on behalf of a sinful people. That was their primary job. That's what they did. They received the sacrifice. They went before the Ark of the Covenant. and They placed the sacrifice on the mercy seat. So that when God looks down at His footstool, which is the Ark of the Covenant, He doesn't see the broken law. He doesn't see the tablets of the Ten Commandments which were smashed by Moses because the people of God had broken their way. When He looks down and He sees the Ark of Testimony, He sees the spilt blood of the Lamb. When we come before God right now, when we have that time right before the sermon begins where we render unto God our burdens, not only should we be asking for people's spiritual health, but we should always have in the back of our minds and our hearts as well their spiritual health. Not just what's going on with their body, but their heart and their soul. How many of us have a relative that we know of that is knee-deep in sin, and if something doesn't happen, they will stand condemned before a holy God. Do you pray about it? How many of us know that about our neighbors or our co-workers? Do you pray about it? Are you being a priest to that person? Are you tending to them, at least by bringing them before God? Are you also tending to them by instructing them on the fact that if you were to die today, where would you wake up? Be the people of God. Be the royal priesthood. Something else we need to understand. First of all, there's no limitations in who can be a part of the family of God. Now, some of us have gone to church where they don't like to seat people in certain places or where the visitors come in and the first thing they get is sized up before they get welcomed. The royal priesthood of God has no limits on its membership. It includes every Christian. It is not qualified by education. It is not qualified by acts of service. It is not qualified by anything except the fact that you are in the redeemed, that you are endowed with the Holy Spirit because Christ's sacrifice has been applied to your heart. Its duties include a life of learning, a life of service, and a life spent teaching, praying, in private devotion, in acts of generosity, and in worship. There is no retirement from this kind of profession. In fact, as a Christian, especially as a part of the Baptist faith, this is your profession. What you do on the side, what you do to make money, that is your tent making. That is your side gig. But your profession, that which you profess, that's what you are called to be for the duration of your life, is Christianity. Being a disciple of Christ, being a lifelong student and a co-worker of His mission. And it requires, underline that, it requires that you engage with the family of God and with your community at large. 
Not rebuking the gathering of yourselves as some are in the habit of doing according to the Bible itself. But all the more so as you see the day approaching each day that goes by is another 24 hours in which the day of the Lord, the great and awesome, the great and terrible day of the Lord is coming closer. We should be meeting in this place more often, not less. It requires being part, an active part of the family of God. Let's continue in his word. Verse 11, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and as exiles, and he's really pushing the fact that you are in the world but not of the world. I urge you to abstain from all sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Highlight or underline that in your copy of God's word. Why? Because a sin is not a mistake. A sin is not just an error of judgment. A sin is a toxin against your relationship with an almighty God. Now, it can't separate you from your salvation, but it can poison your relationship. It can put a strain on you and your creator who saved you. Sin wages war. It is a weapon of the enemy. The person who wants to see you struggle, who wants to see your peace abandoned, who wants to see the joy wiped away from your face, wiped away from your heart so that you remain paralyzed as a worker in the kingdom. The reason that we preach against sin is not because we want to deny someone happiness. It is because we don't want them poisoning their own relationship with an almighty, all-righteous God. Abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul and live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. Live such good lives among the unbelievers, which right now constitute the largest majority in our country than, and than ever before. Live such good lives among the doubters, among the scoffers, among the hypocrites. Live such good lives among those who cast aspersion who lie, who backbite, who criticize. Live such good lives among those who gossip and condemn that by your conduct, conversation, character, by your reputation, by your lived out testimony, the others around you will see through the lie. The others around you will see through the gossip. The others around you will see and call out the evil for what it is. And by reflecting the love of God, you draw them to his light like a moth to the flame. Preach the word always. And when necessary, use words. Not only with your voice, but that is important. We'll talk about that in just a second. Not only with your voice, but in the way you live your life, display Christ before others. Let your good deeds glorify God so that others will welcome him on the day of his return. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, not with violence, not with rage. Don't feed into the machine, not with the whole tinfoil hat wearing weirdness that we find ourselves in today, not by the pendulum swings on whatever the media wants. It used to be that the bread and circuses of ancient civilizations was there to distract people from the real problems. 
it was something apart from the government so that you would take your eyes off of the government. Well, unfortunately, in today's time, the bread and circuses are the government. You turn on the news, and it is so bizarre that the person who publishes the Babylon Bee says, I don't know what to write anymore because the truth is weirder than anything we could imagine. But what we're seeing here is that no matter what society does, no matter what the culture does, be at peace. I'm not telling you not to vote. I'm not telling you not to engage. The Word of God is not telling you to stand for what's right. It is not telling you not to be a part of democracy the way that some preach. But it's also not telling you to scream, holler, shout, throw violence in on a situation where violence need not be. Don't answer evil for evil. That's what he's saying. Don't answer evil for evil. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor to the, as the supreme authority, or the governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and command those who do right. Don't answer evil for evil, but by your own lived devotion, change society by changing the people in the society. You want to change the system? Change the hearts of the people who are running the system. You want to change a church with a corporate mentality and turn it into a loving family that embraces its people? Start by showing the people in that church that you love them. You want to turn something that's cold, something that's businesslike, something that's regimented into something that's alive, vibrant, where people hold to being brothers and sisters in Christ as literal family. Hug them. Shake their hands and give them a smile. Let them know that you love them. Talk to them. Engage with them. Show that they mean something to you. Not to be a number. Not to be a job function or a title. But to be literally part of the family. Here he's describing the, disi the discipline of meekness. Now one of the things that we need to understand is the definition of that term. Because meekness is unfortunately a four-letter word in our society right now. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is not a bad thing. Jesus himself said, for the meek shall inherit the earth. Meekness is strength brought under control. Meekness is potential brought under discipline. Meekness includes emotional control. Meekness includes good financial stewardship. Holding back on impulses, in other words. It's political forbearance. It's judging situations wisely. It is personal restraint. Somebody lashes out at you. Be the control rod, not the reaction. Don't give them what they want. There's an old Kentucky saying, and I'm sure that you've heard of it, never wrestle with a pig. Because you just get dirty and the pig likes it. My son, Tim, he's studying about nuclear fission. I can't tell you how proud I am of him. One of the things that they teach you is that what controls the reaction isn't something else that's volatile. It's, it's an inanimate control. It's a carbon rod. It's something that doesn't react, but it contains the reaction. 
And that's basically what Peter is calling us to be, the peacemaker in a volatile society. And you can't be a peacemaker if you yourself are spoiling for a fight. Bring peace in your own actions and in your own heart first. And that peace will spread. Be a non-reactive presence in a volatile situation. And because you yourself don't react, what could turn into a destructive pattern will cool down and will regain control. And that's the definition of exhibiting grace, the grace of God in front of other people. Remember the example of our Savior. He knew when to contain his strength and he knew when to let out his strength. You want to have, we're going to talk about the biblical description of manhood when we get to Father's Day. But one of the things that I want to call your attention to is what happened with the zeal of the Lord when he cleansed the temple. Now Jesus, for the most part, was meek and lowly. He picked his battles. And he brought peace to a lot of situation. And there are some think that he was some kind of spiritual wimp, that he was overly protective, that he did not get angry at any point in time, that kind of overdo the pendulum swing. But when Jesus needed to, his strength was held under control. And he didn't lose control, he focused his control. Because he who we considered meek and lowly when it came to the temple and when it was being used as a place of dishonest trade instead of being a house of prayer for the nations, he cleared a space the size of three football fields filled with shoppers, filled with with angry politicians, filled with priests, filled with guards. He cleared the whole thing out with nothing more than a handful of rope. When he needed to use his strength, he certainly had it to use. But what I want you to see from this and what Peter saw from that was he knew when to use it. He knew how to use it. And he knew how to keep it under control. That's meekness. It's characterized by being convinced of and holding to the hope of a future without suffering, which we are promised through him, through Christ Jesus our Lord. It is allowing the peace of God that passes all understanding to reign in your heart during troublesome times, knowing who holds tomorrow. It is the joy of knowing that Christ is at work no matter the situation, for all things work together for the glory of God and for the good that are in Him and called according to His purpose. He's always at work. And it's also... Embracing the love of Christ and then reflecting it to others. Paul reminds us, do not repay anyone evil for evil. But be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And if it is possible, as far as depends on you, as far as you're able, in other words, live at peace with just your family members. Live at peace with just the people that want to get along with you. Live at peace with just the people that agree with you. What does the Word of God say? Live at peace with everyone. And if you are in Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, you have that capability built into you. The love, joy, peace, goodness, faithfulness, forbearance, patience, and self-control, all that is needed to live the victorious life in Christ, you have at your disposal right now. Do not take revenge. 
Do not take revenge. Bring control to the volatile situation, my dear friends. Leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. That's God's job, not ours. But on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, and Paul is, is, is repeating Jesus' own words here, if your hung, enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. And in so doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. You will change the heart of those who want to condemn you by not letting their hatred reign in your heart. Demonstrate godly love to that person. And that person will develop a taste for it. Maybe not in your first encounter. Maybe not in your second and third. But if you are diligent with reflecting God to whoever it is, that love will take root in that person's heart. And that will grow into an eventual salvation experience. So do not answer evil for evil, but answer evil always with what? Good. Do not overcome evil by evil. Your most powerful weapon as a Christian is the love of Christ in changing the society and the systems in which we live. It's not politics. It is not political meandering. It is not violence. It is not slander. It is not lies. It is not deception. Your most powerful weapon is putting the love of God on display before others, changing the hearts of those in your midst, one heart at a time. You want any evidence of that? He's writing to people right now who are in danger of their lives by if they're convicted of being a Christian, being thrown into a coliseum filled with thousands of people so they can watch that person being eaten by wild animals. If there is any time in our history where the Christians should have been rallied together, if violence was the case, to be rallied together, to take up arms and to lead a Spartacus-like rebellion against Rome, it was this. But the gospel writers did not say that. Jesus himself did not say that. The apostles did not say that. They said, do not overcome evil for evil. Do not buy into that lie of the enemy that hatred will change society. No, he said, love them. Love your enemy. Do not overcome evil for evil. Overcome it with good. With the love of Christ. Meekness is a hallmark of spiritual maturity. If you want to know someone who is stuck as being a baby Christian, two things, write this down. Two different types of people who are stuck in being a baby Christian, who, who are very spiritually immature. Number one, the people who threaten the church with their membership. The person who take the church of Christ and try to ransom it by deciding that they want to go to another church and threatening that out loud. That is similar to a toddler not getting his way and banging his head against a wall or a floor until he gets his way. And what is the old granny solution to a child that hits his head against the floor? Let him. Eventually they'll figure it out. The second thing is this, gossip. You want to identify someone who is stunted in their spiritual growth. Find someone who has no restraint on their tongue and who is not above coming up with a story on top of their head, maybe peppered with a little truth, but coming up with something brand new that is not the truth and playing a satanic game of telephone to make sure that that mistruth becomes the narrative in the people's minds. This is a hallmark 
of spiritual immaturity, and it's also the hallmark of someone who claims to be a Christian who is not really a regenerate Christian. Meekness is Christ's plan in overcoming the world because He wants you to be an ambassador. He wants you to be a soldier with the truth. He wants you to not fight evil with evil, to not fight violence with violence, but through love, joy, peace, goodness, faithfulness, patience, forbearance, and self-control, with that to change the world. Meekness is also the way that we maintain unity in the church. Again, if you want a corporate, cold, business-like church, treat people like job descriptions, treat people like numbers, try to convince them not to love each other, try to teach them that a simple quick handshake on the way out the door is enough, try to teach them that actual engagement as a community is, is a thing of the past, try to teach them that getting to know your neighbor so that you can work together in common cause is a thing of the past. But if we love each that way, just like an engine without oil, there is no lubrication, so you rub on each other until finally what happens? Church, what happens in a church where there's no love? It explodes. Grace covers a multitude of sins. You want to have a church that feels like a family. You want to have a church that's vibrant, that's rich, and that has a deep spiritual connection with each other and with God. Love each other. Forbear each other. Work to forgive each other. If someone harms you, go back to Matthew 18. If someone does something against you or if someone's caught knee-deep in sin, first step in Matthew 18, Jesus himself, the voice of our Savior, God made flesh, says to do what? Does he say to keep that to yourself and then talk about him behind his back? You go to that person directly. You do not let the sun set on your anger. That very moment, you go to that person directly and you seek to work it out, not in anger, but in conviction. And if that doesn't work, you get someone who is an elder of the faith, you get someone who you know is spiritually mature to mediate. And you try to work it out. You don't try to condemn that person. You don't try to destroy them. You don't try to split the church. You bring the family back together. You love them through it. Meekness is how we maintain the unity of the church. Not that we are not strong within ourselves, but we have that cunning wisdom. We have that strength of personality. We have that very capable tongue. We have all that we are held under control, and more importantly, under subjugation to God. And that's how a Christian heart yields its power to service for Him. It is through meekness that we make a difference. Our weapons aren't knives, guns, explosions, and the things of violence. Our weapons are grace, our love, our mercy, and are the gospel message. Verse 15, for it is God's will that by doing good that you should silence the ignorant talk of the foolish people. Live as, through, as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Just because once saved, always saved happens to be the case doesn't mean that you have a blank check to sin. Quite the opposite. Do not do good works in order to be saved, but do good works always because what? 
You are saved out of thanksgiving and praise. Live as a sacrifice of praise because you have been saved. Live as God's slaves. In other words, with your will under perfect subjugation to him who loves you and he who wants to pour out his love onto others. Show proper respect for everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Notice which emperor he's talking about. He's not talking about an emperor that looks favorably upon Christians. It's an emperor that wants to see them all dead. But there's a story there. Ironically, it has to do with an emperor's mother-in-law. A lady by the name of Sophia, whose daughter was married to a gentleman who was a, a career military officer. A man who lived by waging war and by walking through streets filled with blood that he himself had spilled, who at that point in time had been a lifelong pagan. But because of her gentleness, even within that system that hated Christians, even being part of a society that wanted to see her and her daughter dead, because of her meekness, because of her love, because the joy that she not only held in her heart but spread to others, because of her wisdom that was put on display, because of the fact that she took the unlovable and loved them in spite of it. Her son-in-law himself became a Christian. Her son-in-law was the emperor. His name was Constantine. And because they loved the emperor, who at one time wanted to kill them all, because they didn't rebel, but because they instead, because they instead loved him, they prayed for him, they conquered his heart. And what was a pagan empire? Roads that were built for trade and for military. Libraries that were established to teach people on how to build siege engines. An entire network of destruction and pain and greed was transformed. Was it perfect? Was it ever truly perfected? No. But something tremendous was born out of it. In the men's fellowship yesterday, I talked about 12 men who under their own merit were nothing of note. They were people who other rabbis had rejected. They were not known to be particularly truthful. They were not known to be particularly wise. They were not known to be particularly intelligent. In fact, one of them was downright known to be a crook. But these 12 people, after being redeemed... After learning in the master's house, these 12 people changed the world. The first 12 Christians on earth were the bedrock of what today is a religion of more than 2 billion people. They were ordinary men, very flawed men, but under the power of the Holy Spirit, they became obedient to an all-powerful God. Twelve people who were flawed, one of which also was a murderer, a terrorist, who changed the world and who today stand as our examples. Folks, we're unfortunately in this world where the enemy wants you to be separated. He wants you to be isolated. 
Because outside the family of God, we're more likely to let go of our peace, to let go of our hope, to let go of our joy. He wants you in your homes. He wants you thinking that just by being on your couch and staring at a TV set, you're actually at church. He wants you to not gather together. Because when you gather together, you are strong. When you gather together, iron sharpens iron. When you gather together, our sorrows are divided and our joys are multiplied. When you gather together, we stand as one body of Christ. If He can get you isolated, if He can steal your joy, He can make you paralyzed. If He can bring you together, if He can teach you to love each other, if He can teach you to stand firm, in fact, in, in, as part of a society that wants to see you destroyed, He trembles in fear. Because at that point, the bride of Christ ceases being on the defensive and becomes a conquering force. You want to change the society? Put Christ on display. You want to change this neighborhood? Get out in it. Claim the promise where he says that you will be filled with the Holy Spirit and that, I, that he will remind you of all things that I have committed to you. You want to grow this church? Not just with numbers, but with true disciples? Love God with everything that you are. Love your neighbor enough to go to them, to meet them, to talk to them, to get to know them, to share the gospel with them, to invite them to come to church with you. To make disciples of all nations. Start with your own backyard. And lastly, love each other, just as Jesus loved us. Not just as friends, but as brothers and sisters. With that very challenging word agape, that word that means that I will sacrifice myself for you. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church for which he gave his, what? Life. That's how you become the people of God. That's how you become the people of God. Tear down the boundaries that would separate you from each other. Make sure nothing becomes a boundary between you and your relationship with God. And be always, always in a state where you remember that you are a priest of His. You're on mission. Threefold. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself in all that that entails. Not just when they love you, but in all that that entails. Lastly, love each other just as Christ loves you. And they will know that you're His disciples if you love one another. Want to grow the church? Be the church. That's our challenge for this week. Find new ways to fulfill the three great commandments. Find new ways to show more love to our Creator. To show a true love to our neighbor which overrides any fears, any doubts, any reservations we may have. And to find new ways to love the family of God. To strengthen her from within. To sure the foundation that he will bless and build upon.
And all God's people said. And Heavenly Father, as we close the service of the Word this morning, we do so in praise and thanksgiving for everything that You've given to us. For the example, for Your Word, for Your wisdom, for Your guidance, for Your love that compels us to do the work that You've set before us, to know You and to make You known. Lord, help to inspire everything that we do. Draw us not just to be closer. Draw us as a family. Draw us to bring those who should be here home. To bring those who are within our community who do not know you. Help us to do so. Help us to be your light before others so that they may come to know you before it is everlastingly too late. To be the safe harbor in the storm and to be the place through which people come to know you. Help us, Lord. And I ask that if there are any within the sound of my voice that have yet to know you in that peace, in that, that free pardon of sin that you purchased with the price of your own son's blood, or for those who have lost that sense of hope and joy, who just need a special touch of the Master's hand, those struggling in sin, for those who just need their burdens lifted, whatever the case may be, Lord, as we come now into this time of invitation, as one family, help us to draw closer to you, our Lord, with everything that we are. As we dedicate this time in ourselves into your hands, bring to your altar all that you will. <coughs> Trouble our hearts that they might be truly conformed to you. For it is in the matchless name of Christ that we pray. And all God's people say, Thank you for joining us at High Lawn Baptist Church. We pray that you were blessed by today's message. At High Lawn, we believe that when you love God, you share His Word. When you love others, you spread the gospel. We would love for you to join us next time, and if possible, to join us in person, to contact or learn more about us, to donate to our ongoing ministry, or most importantly, to learn about the salvation offered to you through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Visit us at highlawnbaptistchurch.org. Once again, thank you, and God bless you.